0: This is The Sharp End, a podcast from accidents to North American mountaineering. I'm Ashley Sapi, your host for the show. March 13th, Electric Larvaland, 510B, Silent Pillar Wall, Owens River Gorge. Scott didn't make it home. His fiance was worried and drove to the Lower Gorge parking lot, where she found his van and his dog. Search and rescue began in the morning, and about an hour into it, a family friend found Scott's body on the base of the climb. Scott was on the ground. He had a stick clip attached to his harness and an eight-foot loop of slack between the tie-in point on his harness and Gregory attached to his belay loop. A quickdraw was on the rope within the loop, with a bolt hanger missing its bolt, clipped to the other end of the quickdraw. This evidence suggests that Scott was using the stick clip to go bolt-to-bolt, Unclipping the bolt below as he went and using the grigi to ascend his short loop of rope to the bolt above him. But then the third bolt on this climb failed. Scott fell 25 to 30 feet to the ground. The bolt in question was a 516th inch buttonhead bolt, which snapped about a half an inch into its hole. We think that this bolt was placed probably on the first ascent over 20 years ago. So we all think about bolts being bomber, but are they? To learn more about bolts, what you can trust and what you can't, and what people are doing about it, I tracked down Jason Haas, bolt climbing guru, and he has quite a few really incredible things to say about bolts. Welcome to the show, Jason. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: My name is Jason Haas. I am a founding board member of the Boulder Climbing Community. Um, I run Fixed Pin Publishing and I'm a high school math teacher. I've been climbing since, oh boy, Uh, I've been climbing since 1999 and I have been doing First Ascents since probably 2000 uh, and have switched primarily to focusing on rebolting. Uh, in the last probably five years.
0: Wow. Thanks, Jason. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show, and it's really good to meet you. Um, yeah, go ahead and start us off by talking a little bit about the incident that happened to Scott in 2015.
1: So that's a real unfortunate thing that happened with Scott. Um, a, it, it sounds like essentially he was trying to kind of aid his way up the route to then be able to top rope solo the line. Um, He was going bolt to bolt with a stick clip and removing his quick draw from the bolt below him. Uh, So he was always hanging on one single piece and then one of the bolts blew. And uh, so he decked from that and and no one was around for that accident. He was found, unfortunately, um, dead on the scene the next day.
0: You mentioned that he was clipped to only one bolt at a time.
1: Correct. Yeah, that's what sort of the assessment is based on he had a quick draw uh, into a hanger. The hanger was on, you know, clipped to him and on the ground. The bolt was later found uh, and it was missing from the wall. He did not have anything clipped into the lower bolts. So the presumption is, is that he was just sort of aiding up, clipping one at a time, removing the last one, uh, which... You know, I, I see from probably his standpoint of the, the quickness of it and thinking that all bolts um, are pretty safe, so there's no big deal there, um, and that he's also just hanging body weight on it rather than, uh, um, you know, taking taking a lead fall on it. But, I mean, kind of what we're taught from the very beginning is, is safety in numbers and redundancy. Uh, that's why anchors have two bolts when you repel and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Can you describe the bolt in question to the listeners?
1: It was a 5 um raw button head. So they look like kind of a – from the outside perspective, they look like a um, half a sphere, the kind of rounded dome-like. Uh, they're really flat. They're a compression bolt, which just means – Essentially, they're fat in the middle, and you take a hammer, you hammer the head um, in, and then the little part, kind of like how a nail works, and it goes in, and then, so even if you think that the bolt is an inch long, that was an inch and a quarter is a standard length button head um, length, less than half of that's actually making contact at any given time with the rock, and so it's just simply pressure that's keeping it in there. It's not a mechanical advantage like modern day bolts are.
0: What are the modern day bolts looking like?
1: Uh, So most people are using one of two types of, well I guess sort of three bolts if you want to count glue-ins, but those aren't really mechanical. Um, But otherwise we're talking about wedge bolts and then sleeve bolts. And hopefully people are going to move away from using wedge bolts. Those are like the triplex. Um, They they look like they have a threaded end, and there's a nut that's screwed on that sticks out from the hanger. Uh, And then a sleeve bolt is what everyone kind of calls the the five-piece rawl or powers bolts. They've gone through a couple names because of company ownership. Um, But both of those work uh, similarly in in design. The sleeve bolt is the better bolt. When you tighten down, there's a hex head on it, and as you tighten that down, there's five pieces of the bolt itself, hence the name, Uh, but the very last piece is a cone, and that cone, as you tighten it, gets sucked into the sleeve, and the sleeve expands, so there's much more uh, metal making contact with the rock. It's also longer than, say, the button head that um, that failed last year, and... The whole unit is not only stronger than every regular bolt, other than a glue-in. Um, the advantage to it, to say, over a wedge bolt is twofold. One is it's stronger, and two, and so sometimes that's debatable. Like how strong does it really have to be for rock climbing purposes? Um, but more importantly, is a wedge bolt can fit. Fa- when it fails, it fails catastrophically, meaning it snaps right off. It doesn't really give you a lot of warning, so it could start to fracture or crack inside, and you might not know that. Um, And typically it doesn't happen inside the hole so much as sort of near the the surface. Um, And that can happen for a lot of reasons. But a sleeve bolt always gives you warning signs. It starts to bend, it starts to pull out, it starts to look really nasty before things will really fail so it it gives you sort of a warning side that you need to replace it um and that's more from like a a failure standpoint that doesn't really have to deal with corrosion that's a little different but um in essence how they how they work it's a better design
0: so jason i guess i'm just wondering how strong a climbing bolt needs to be for climbing purposes
1: yeah (laughs) yeah well that's uh that's a tough question, right? And it's hard for anyone to really answer because there's a lot of variables in there. Um, your typical bolt place today is rated stronger than pretty much anything else in the system, meaning the carabiner or think of like a nut being placed. It's stronger than those things. Um, but there's also problems with the, the, the fact that what you're putting that bolt into could be an issue. Uh, it's not always the bolt. That's the weakest link. It could be the rock itself, and and so that becomes highly variable about length of a bolt and type of a bolt and all those things.
0: By rock itself, you mean rock quality.
1: Correct. Yeah, you could you have harder and softer rock, right? You know, uh, sandstone versus limestone versus granite. Those quality, those rock qualities all have different uh, densities and, and strengths to them. Um, And then even within each of those, you can have really hard sandstone, like uh, in El Dorado, outside of Boulder, or you could have really soft sandstone, like a lot of the Utah desert. Um, And, you know, you can even go through bands within. You can have kind of decomposing granite, you know, 50 to 100 feet from really bulletproof granite.
0: Well, okay, and so now what, Jason? So we've got all these climbs that were established in the 70s and the 80s, and so all of these are potentially old bolts that we are now moving away from?
1: Yeah, so uh, hopefully, for the most part, you know, the it can be kind of controversial. A lot of those guys that got to pick those plums when sport climbing came of age in the 80s uh, still bolt, and they say, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years, why do I need to change my methods now? Um, And there's even more modern developers that say, well, I want to put in a sport route, and so I'm going to put it in as cheap as possible so I can do as many routes as possible. And if the community thinks it's a good route, then they'll replace it with good hardware and they'll foot the bill. So unfortunately, some of that mentality still exists. Um, But yeah, I would say that overall, education has really helped... um, Evolved that whole process. Our knowledge has, has increased exponentially over the last few years uh, from all, all aspects of being able to remove old bolts and reuse same holes to sort of strength testing old bolts and, and sort of rock quality and all that stuff. Like we've really gone a long way uh, and really nerded out in the engineering world to try and determine what best practices are.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. So let's bring it back to Scott. He relied on bolts on what he thought was a safe sport route and that one bolt failed and as a result he decked and he lost his life so if we can just educate people and raise money to replace those questionable bolts there would not be nearly as many incidents
1: yeah and I agree I mean Owens River Gorge is a sport climbing area Uh, another incident happened a a couple years prior to that Josh Wharton placing bolts in rifle and, this, and the same thing happened. Um, he decked from the second bolt and broke his back and uh, you know, he was alone in the Canyon. And fortunately, um, you know, fortunately he, it wasn't a fatality and he was able to make a full recovery after a very long road. But again, it was, Hey, this is a sport. rifle is a sport crag. It is, is one of the best in the country and there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to, uh, you know go up a route on body weight to replace bolts like it's just yeah it's a problem um and and part of the problem too is people write it off of when you take bolts out and they go oh that's rusty oh it's got lots of life in it well maybe maybe it does maybe it doesn't and we're having bolts um uh, tested you know in a, in a lab and they're broken uh and where we see where they're at and it's It's interesting data. What it shows is that sleeve bolts tend to be pretty close to near strength when they are, um, even when they're really rusted, and they continue to show signs of breaking before they do. But the wedge bolts that people can get for you know a dollar uh, are all over the map. Some are twenty years old and they test near strength, and some fail at body weight and you don't really know you never know from just looking at it and there's no way to know from just looking at it so that's part of the problem too when people rely on it and you say how do I educate myself well it's it's very nuanced and it's hard to say and the only good rule of thumb is if it's a half inch sleep bolt, you're probably pretty good um even if it's got a little bit of rust on it not saying that that shouldn't be replaced but other than that you're kind of rolling the dice, and I don't want to give a doomsday, you know, impression that everything else is is you're you're clipping. You're going to die, um, but in some ways, that leaper hangers and buttonheads, as you saw with Scott, like you have to, yeah, you are rolling the dice with those bolts. They're they're not. They were never meant for rock climbing. They were meant for holding signs up outside of storefronts and brick, uh, and they're not meant to be taking the kind of weights and the loads that that we as rock climbers place on them.
0: Well, okay. So, what should we do now? What is what are the next steps here?
1: For for us as a climbing community to get ahead of this problem, number one, we have to convince anybody putting metal into rock to stop putting in junk, right? Stop buying anything from from uh, you know Home Depot and stop putting in plated steel bolts and really use the bolts that we're recommending as the best bolts available. You know, even with that accident with Scott and that button head failing, that button head was one of the best bolts when it was placed. So we should still be trying to keep up with technology and putting the bolt, best stuff that we can in, into the rock. Um, so for the average person that doesn't really know how to do that or what to do, you know, there's two main things that any rock climber should do. One is that they should contribute money to their local climbing organization if that like local climbing organization, I mean, they should do that anyway. But if we're talking about bolding specifically, they should contribute money to that organization if they're replacing bolts. Um, And if they're not doing that, then they should be, you know, if your local organization's not replacing bolts, then then climbers should be contributing to the American Safe Climbing Association, the ASCA, or the Access Fund so they can do more grants. And so that way we can financially try and tackle this problem. It was amazing that the access fund came up with $10,000 to, to give to people. Um, I was on the grant application committee and there was lots of great applicants from all over the country. Unfortunately, $10,000 doesn't go very far, even with discounted pricing from, you know, really great, um, climbing companies like climb But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's a drop in the bucket, but it's a starting point, and so that's great. And and anybody that can help contribute to that is awesome. Uh, it's one of the big things living here in Boulder, Colorado, that I really try and get our local community behind is these big rebolting events that we do. We replace bolts. We replace like an entire crag in a day. Uh, get forty to eighty volunteers out that I've trained, and um, they do all the work. You know, one day and one big push, and this crag is good for another hundred years, and that's awesome. So anyone that you know wants to get involved in it, on the very basic level is just financial contribution. The next thing that they could do is really just sort of educate themselves in terms of what it is that they're clipping. And it's not just bolts. It's also hangers. Uh, there's been lots of accidents that have happened all over the country, uh, especially here in Colorado. I just know those because I'm from Colorado, of um, bolt hangers failing as well as bolts failing. And luckily, none of them have resulted in, in fatalities, uh, unfortunately, like they have in California. Um, but they're still a serious thing. And so people should understand what what junk looks like, you know, what bad bolts look like, anything that looks like a button head or has a star stamped on it, uh, anything, any hangers that look pretty black to rust color, you um, they're probably leaper hangers or they're homemade hangers. If it doesn't look like this shiny rounded bolt hanger you see in the climbing gym, uh, you know, it's it's probably not that great. And you should probably talk to someone that has more experience with it, or at least put it on their radar. Um, And same with the bolts, you know, if you start to see rust and that becomes a problem more so than for, you know, wetter areas like on the coast or, Um, the northwest, southeast, anything like that, compared to, say, the deserts of Utah and things like that.
0: Okay, great. Well, say you have a climber that um, isn't quite confident enough to know what a bad bolt or a good bolt looks like or just wants some more coaching on bolting in general. What do you suggest that they do?
1: I would say that they should try and contact whoever their local climbing organization is and see what they're doing. And if that that isn't an option, meaning they don't know who their local climbing organization is or – their local organization isn't doing that stuff, then I would say contact the Access Fund and have them try and um, point that person in the right direction of of resources.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jason, for taking the time out to chat with me today, and it was really good talking with you.
1: Yeah, it was great talking to you as well.
0: During my research for this episode on bolt replacements, another name came up a few times, and I decided to try and get in touch with him for some more information. He was more than happy to chat, despite his very busy schedule. So, welcome to the show, and go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: My name is Brady Robinson. I'm the Executive Director for the Access Fund, and we're the organization that keeps climbing areas open and conserved in the United States.
0: Hey, it's great to have you, Brady. I saw that the Access Fund had a fixed anchor conference in April out of Nevada. What came out of that conference?
2: Yeah, so we, um, it was actually, we called it the Future of Fixed Anchors 2 conference. We did one in 2012, and we did another one uh, this April, as you said. And um, the purpose of that conference was really to convene um, some of the most prolific uh, bolt replacers and equippers and just people that are thinking about this from around the country, share best practices, talk about. What's going on in the regulatory environment, meaning what are, what are the laws and regulations that govern climbing and the placement and replacement of bolts, say, particularly on federal land? What's going on in terms of people's thinking around liability? That is to say, if you place a bolt, um, are you liable if something bad happens afterwards? Uh, or is the organization liable? And what are ways to mitigate those risks? And we had a lot of volunteers and people tell their stories from all around the country. And that was, that was the first day. And then the, the morning of the second day, we had a bunch of boulders um, strewn about and uh, rock types and practiced uh, placing and replacing uh, bolts in those and, and worked on a bunch of different techniques. And one of the really cool things is there's a lot of people that are innovating all around the country on ways to sustainably uh, bolt and replace bolts and many of these folks um, don't come in contact with each other and so they're innovating um, in these isolated regions and to bring everyone together and and to talk and to share their ideas um, a lot of innovation can come out of that and people come out of the conference just really jazzed and they realize I'm actually not you know toiling in isolation There are other people like me in different parts of the country that are concerned about replacing bolts and doing so in a sustainable manner. And so I think it was a huge success. We've um, got most of the proceedings um, up on our website. There's a bunch of videos and uh, yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a really good conference.
0: So what is happening with the industry standard of bolts?
2: Well, in the United States there really isn't uh, a standard per se. Um, The UIAA, which is an international body that does a number of things, including uh, certifying gear um, and setting standards around gear. And so their safety standards committee is going to be meeting in uh, Italy in June and will be voting on and most likely issuing a standard around bolts. And this particular standard is going to be around the materials that bolts are made out of. And the driving force in the interest of finding a standard is really uh, an insidious form of corrosion called stress corrosion cracking. So if anyone's seen the pictures of what's happening in kind of most famously in Thailand, where um, so-called C-grade stainless steel is failing after just a handful of years, it's a it's a very complex, Form of corrosion that, frankly, just a few years ago, people didn't think could happen at ambient uh, temperatures. They thought it was only the sort of thing that can happen in an industrial setting. But uh, when there's when the uh, the circumstances uh, are just right in the outdoors, uh, there, this sort of corrosion, stress corrosion cracking, can lead to catastrophic bolt failure, and the bolt looks almost perfectly normal on the outside. So. The UIA and many people from all around the world realize that this is a major issue. It turns out that in this case, the best solution is titanium. Their goal is to have an anchor last for 50 years. And so, in order for an anchor to last 50 years, they're saying that it has to be made out of stainless basically to cut to the chase. And so, we've been debating, and by we, I mean the Axis Fund, have been debating with several members of this committee about whether or not a type of stainless steel called 304 is or is not appropriate. It just happens to be that many of the bolts that we use here in the United States are 304 stainless. And in Europe, uh, construction standards are different, and um, they're using almost exclusively uh, 316 stainless. And um, it's just harder to get that kind of stainless in the United States. And uh, it's perfectly reasonable to believe that bolts will last for 50 years that are made out of 304 in most inland environments. So maybe this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but we've been working with the UIA to try to ensure that when they do come out, of a stan- out with a standard, it doesn't disqualify half the bolts that we're using here in the United States. There still are people out there putting junk in the rock. They're pu- putting... Um, Regular old carbon steel in the rock with stainless steel hangers, which is a huge no-no. Uh, mixing your metals leads to galvanic corrosion. Um, and so there's, you know, on the one hand, having a standard is going to mean that we're putting better stuff in the rock, which is going to last longer and hopefully for at least 50 years. So that's, that's a good thing on the one. The second part of this that's a little less intuitive is that land managers are increasingly interested in making sure that the people that are placing bolts and replacing bolts in the properties that they oversee and manage know what they're doing and are putting good things in the rock. And if we don't have a standard, if we can't say, here's the standard by which we will be putting uh, bolts in the rock, they're going to come up with their own. And we've already seen them starting to do that. And I think it's in the climbing community's best interest to do our homework, come up with a really good standard, and then say, this is the standard and point, ourselves and land managers to it, because frankly, most land managers, uh, aren't experts in this. And if they come up with a standard, it could be kind of weird and it might not be appropriate or it might be prohibitively expensive. And, uh, so there's a second reason why coming up with a standard and adhering to it is, is really a good idea.
0: The access fund gave $10,000 to the bolt replacement fund. How else is it contributing?
2: Yeah. So we, um, we uh, have a partnership with the American Alpine Club where we give $10,000 away a year. We may even give away more this year. We'll see. Um, and so those, those grants go to local climbing organizations. They don't, we don't, We're not at the current time giving directly to individuals. If an individual wants to do some bolt replacement, their best uh, opportunity to get support for that is to go to the American Safe Climbing Association and Greg Barnes, who is, if, if someone is credible, is he's often happy to just send a, a pile of bolts up somewhere. But... Um, which is great. They're a wonderful organization, and he is a super guy. I think you know, one of the things, there's, this is a big issue, and so we want to help with the issue of sustainable bolt replacement and, and maintaining anchors. And so we asked ourselves, what are we really good at at the Access Fund? Well, we can give grants. Uh, we're good at kind of working the regulatory policy uh, angle behind the scenes, and we're also really good at convening people. And so this conference is one example of what we're doing. There's some really exciting tools, exciting at least to me, that came out of the conference, um ways to uh extract and remove older bolts um without damaging the rock too much, and some of those techniques are being perfected as we speak, and some of the tools are very uh they're specialty tools. They're not the kind of thing that you can go to Home Depot and buy or even order online. Frankly, they don't even exist. And so one thing that we're working towards is making these tools available on our website so people could, who are interested or local climate organizations could go to our website, order the tools, we'll ship them out, and um, yeah, so, so really what it comes down to is helping to fund this and putting the right information and in the right tools in the right people's hands I think is, is, is the role that we're playing currently.
0: Thank you so much for playing that role. Finally, my last question, Brady, is um, if somebody's going climbing today, what should they know right now that they didn't know yesterday?
2: Well, I think, I think you should always think about the hardware that you're clipping. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's inevitable. There are some times when we're sport climbing that um, if any one particular bolt were to fail, it could be bad. I mean, I think you should always think about what would the consequences be don't take that uh, don't take it for granted that everything you clip is going to be good um, and I would recommend that people uh, go to our website we have a large um, educational um, part of our website if you go under uh, educate yourself for advocates there's a whole section on anchors and fixed anchors and bolts and it goes from beginners what do you need to know what does everyone need to know about bolts what are some things you can do without having to know how to use a power drill to help upgrade anchors, and then all the way into the minutiae of the current best practices and thinking about bolt replacement, they can see videos from our conference. So I think if any of your listeners are interested in doing a deeper dive, uh, visit our website, accessfund.org.
0: Awesome, Brady. Well, thank you again for taking the time out of your day to chat with me.
2: Ashley, it was my pleasure.
0: Fun fact, there are roughly 60,000 sport routes across the U.S., And roughly a third of those were put up in the late 1980s and early 1990s, according to Nick Wilder, co-founder of Mountain Project. Thanks again to Jason Haas and Brady Robinson for chatting with me about the bolt replacement issue. Thanks for tuning in today to The Sharp End. I'd finally like to send some love to Scott's family. Accidents in North American Mountaineering is an annual publication of the American Alpine Club with frequent online reports and updates. The AAC members receive the book each year for free. To learn more, visit AmericanAlpineClub.org. Until the next episode, play hard and be smart.